If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com Registered Training Organisation 31352 now today I'd like to introduce a new guest, Sophia Landy, and um, some people might know her, Sophia Landy Equestrian, she advertises that. Sophia Landy provides a rider coaching and schooling services from a base located in Mansfield, Victoria. With a wide base of coaching program and packages available, there's lots on offer. Her key philosophies include helping riders establish a connection with their horses and focusing on their technique for a step-by-step improvement. Specialising in performance horse, she takes on horses for schooling, campaigning and starting off young horses. And that's the main thing that I'd like to talk about today. The focus is on training horses classically with the aim of increasing their confidence and willingness to form a successful partnership. Sophia, how are you today? Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on oh, here to talk today. That's okay. Thanks for spending the time and taking the time to chat to us because, you know, you seem like you've got a pretty busy schedule. So I'm sure you've already been up and been doing lots today and, um, you know, sort of coming towards the day close. Yeah, yeah. No, lots of horses have been worked and <laughs> they're being fed at the moment. <laughs> good, good. All right. Now, Sophia, we normally start off with a favourite quote. I'm sure you've got one for us. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually something my coach said to me when I was quite young and all I wanted to do was ride around, you know, fast and I didn't want to do any disciplined riding and he said to me, it's okay to hoon but you have to learn to hoon in style and and that really (laughs) stuck with me because it kind of, it made me realise and appreciate, you know, the importance of the the discipline that allows you, you know, to then be able to do fun things with your horses. Yes, 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 yeah, I like that hooning in style. Yeah, yeah. So you started off fairly young, obviously. Who was that early coach that told you about hooning and style? Uh, it's actually the same coach that coaches me now mostly. So that's Ken Gelbard, and he started coaching me when I was about 10 years old. He had evented to a high level himself and lived at the neighbouring property to my grandparents' farm, which is where I first had my first pony. And, and yeah, funnily enough, he's coached me right through, and he's really been a key part of um teaching me not only to ride but a lot of the philosophies I've developed about handling horses and how I go about all my training. Yeah, he must be a pretty proud coach then, huh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) All right then. Now, so starting off at your grandparents' place, I mean, how did that all start? Yeah. You you obviously like to hoon around. We've got that bit. But tell us about... (laughs) So they have have a big property and... Mm -hmm. um, and they used to have horses for stock ride, for, you know, doing stock work and stuff on the farm. So I used to, I guess, just just ride and I didn't really have 
many lessons to begin with, but then I got into Pony Club and that kind of is what channeled me into eventing, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's good. What about an early memory? You know, I think the one where your coach said, you know, about hooning in style, I think that's a great memory. Have you got another one, just one that you remember back and go, oh, I remember that day when I learnt this lesson. Have you got something that yeah. you can tell us about? Yeah. It's funny that I liked going fast because I had this little grey pony that was very forward moving and, and I I struggled to slow her down. And, and my grandmother always told me, because she was really an early influence as well in my riding, and she always told me, you know, you have to walk home and like, never let her trot or canter in so that they learn they not to rush home. And, and I took that quite seriously, but the one time I didn't, I thought, oh, I'm just going to go for... A little trot and jump this little log and I landed on the other side and the pony absolutely bolted for home <laughs> and I, I, I clung on and stayed on until it slammed to a stop at the gate at the other side of the paddock and I thought gee I learnt my lesson then and, and I always Good. I always remembered that. And did you ever tell so, your grandmother? <laughs> she she knew yeah she did find out it happened. So. <laughs> okay she's yeah. probably glad that you learned your lesson though. Yeah, yeah, I learned my lesson, so yeah, I, was, yeah. I was pretty careful to walk in the last paddock on the way home. And, yeah. and I was surprised I still, I still, you know, kept going. You know, I, um, I wasn't scared too easily, I guess. I, I, loved, I was so desperate to ride that I was <laughs> determined, to, determined to keep going even, you know, when things like that happened. Yeah, yeah. Now, career with horses, you're pretty much full-time with horses now. Have you ever had another career? Were you always going to have horses? Was there like a deciding moment that you said, I'm going to work with horses, that's my career? I've always, I've never done anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it wasn't though that I was, when I was young, I grew up thinking, you know, people didn't say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I didn't say, oh, I want to be a horse trainer or a professional rider. Um, but it just kind of eventuated like that's what I did growing up. I rode as much as I could all the time. I loved it. And um, and then when I was old enough, I guess I already started riding horses for other people here and there and um, and coaching lessons maybe when I was, you know, 16, just here and there helping, helping people where I could. And so quite a long time before I finished school, I was really already making money and income through horses and so and so it was the natural step really to mm-hmm. do and and when I did um make that step because I was you know I was brought up with the expectation of going to uni probably and my parents were very supportive in the end that I didn't but I I really consciously said all right I'm going to do this for a year after I finish school and I'm not going to have any financial help I'm just going to do it and see if I can make it work because so many professional riders will warn you against being a professional rider. You know, they say, oh, it's terrible, the hours, you won't make any money, you can't make a living. Anyway, I'd been warned not to do it. And so I said, see if I can make this work. And and I did it for a year and I, I just couldn't imagine doing anything else. Like I loved it. I was, you know, it, it was hard work, but it's absolutely what I wanted to do. So it was never, I never looked back. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 there's two things there. There's, It's amazing the amount of people that say, I'll just take 12 months off and then they stay in horses. The other thing is yeah. too, that professional riders warn you against it, but they stay there. They say it really is, you know, and sometimes it's not about the money. You know, it's about the lifestyle. Yeah. What would I be doing? Would I be working in an yeah. office? I wouldn't have time to ride. I wouldn't have time to 
you know, go off to a competition for a few yeah, days. It's, it's yeah. very much a lifestyle thing. Like it's not like working a nine to five job where you go to work and you come home and you can switch off from it. Mm-hmm. Like you really, you can't, you're living and breathing it the whole time. So that you've got to really love it to yes, be able to do it. Yes, yes. And I also think about the professionals who do go out and earn a lot of money and then come home and spend it all on their horses anyway, and they can't even claim it off their tax because it's not a no. tax, not relevant to the work they're doing and, and the time they spend travelling and the time they spend going into work. It's, it's, um, yeah. it's a, yeah, it is a lifestyle choice. Yeah, and that's kind yeah. of the other pathway that people can go down. But then, yeah. you know, there's, there's upsides and downsides to both, and I always think about, oh, you can only really have one or two horses and, yes. you know, what if that horse gets hurt and you can't yeah. really yeah. have a team going and, and yeah, well, but, but there's benefits of it too, you know. You can, yeah, you can see it both ways, that's yep. for sure. Yep, yep, Now, if people come into the horse industry, and I'm thinking, you know, you might have someone that wants to work for you or or someone that you see early that you think, gee, these people, I think they'll make it in the horse industry. What sort of person would they be? What sort of core skills and character traits does someone need to get started in the horse industry? They may not have a lot of skills yet. They may not be a brilliant rider or something, but they've got to have certain traits. Yeah, yeah. I think the biggest one is probably resilience. And and I say that because you're just in the being in the horse industry and as a competitor too, like it's just something that is tested over and over and over again. You know, you'll you'll do something really well and the next day your horse will be hurt or, you know, you're just all the time being tested. Um, I guess in that sense, like just when you think things are good, there's always, you know, there's always something around the corner and, and you really, to be able to make it, like to be able to be successful in the industry, you have to have, you have to have a thick skin and you have to um, not be fussed by all the setbacks and the negative things that happen, but mm-hmm. I guess to be able to see the positives and just keep, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, now you've talked about lifestyle. Is that the best thing about working with horses, do you think? Is it the lifestyle, the connection? Or You tell me about the best thing, working with horses. Yeah, I mean, the lifestyle, you could say it's the best thing. You could say it's the worst thing as well. Like, I mean, I love it. I love getting up and going outside and, and you know, being able to structure the days how I want, I guess, and that you are doing with horses. I think the biggest thing that I love about it, though, is, the, um, I love seeing the progress of each individual horse and mm-hmm. I really love the training. Like That's so rewarding for me, the the connection you get with them and the pro- like that sense of progress that you go, wow, this horse came to me three weeks ago and you know it couldn't do this, 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 and now look at it and that's really satisfying. So yep. Yep. that's the thing I love the most about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now you talked about Ken earlier on, you know, the one that told you to yeah. come in style. Who else has influenced you? You know, there must be other people that have influenced, just helped you. Yeah, yeah. So I I actually moved after having my horses at my grandparents' farm, as I, which was about two hours out of Melbourne, and mm-hmm. we were really living in Melbourne, my family, and I was going to school in Melbourne. I then, um, it was just, I was only riding on weekends, really, until I was about 14. And then I was just desperate to ride more the whole time. And we started adjusting my horses at Turidan Estate, which is about an hour out of Melbourne. And I met Sally Francis when I, through that. And okay. as it ca- came about a year or two later, I actually moved out of home and moved in with Sally. And she's she's been a major influence. She was um, a half owner with me and my first kind of top-level horse. And she taught me a lot about riding and a lot about running, you know, running an equestrian business and, 
and everything that goes into it. And yeah, she was a major mentor and role model for me and, and still is. Good, good. Good. And I know you've got some horses that you want to tell us about. Have you got one horse that you think's influenced you more than the others or have you got a couple that you'd like to mention? Oh, it's, it's probably hard to narrow it down to just one. <laughs> I've got, I guess I've got two that have been majorly influential. Right. And the first one is um, the one I've um, part-owned with Sally. Yep. Um, that's ESP Golden Zone, Zone as we call him. And so we bought him when I was 17 and he was really my first serious horse um, that I, I guess, had success on and competed at the high levels on. And um, I, yeah, so I moved up to, I competed him to the old two-star level, now three-star, and, and also to Grand Prix show jumping. And so I really jumped my first big tracks on him and he, he was very difficult to ride when I first got him. And I really think that's the horse that has made me as a rider. Like mm-hmm. he was so touchy and so easily, um, panicked and I've got all sorts of hilarious stories of the things that happened when I first got got him and and the people that saw him then remember it and and he really in the time I had him and I say had him I still have him but he's now retired he um injured himself but in the time I was competing him we he just changed so much and we had such a good partnership and he was the kind of horse that you know he couldn't just put anyone on and um yeah, we had a lot of success together and I, I really, more than anything, I just learned so much from him and and I really think what I learned from him has just shaped, completely shaped how I go about training, training horses now. Yep, yep, yep. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. And it's horses like that, isn't it, that are touchy, that are special, that not a lot of people can ride. If they get the wrong person, they end up being just problem yeah. horses. You know, you've got to yeah, the, yeah. The, sometimes those problem horses, you could either go problem horses or very good horses. Yeah, exactly. And he would have very easily ended up in that basket. But as it was, and and it was really very much thanks to the help of um, Ken that I was able to learn how to ride him because it was much more than just learning to ride him. It was him learning to overcome the, you know, his issues of being, like he really did have panic attacks and mm-hmm. to learn to relax. And and that was the big thing. And then, then to be able to go on with him to have such, um, you know, to have such a competitive horse was really exciting. And you know, my first taste of going to compete at, um, you know, Adelaide at the Australian three-day event and, and we got a placing in the young rider and the, the main class, in the two-star class, and that was that was so exciting. And and then, you know, a few months later, he, he got hurt and just essentially with him in and it gives you, a, you know, the other side of it and that's, I guess, the resilience that comes into it. And, and I thought, gee, I thought it was easy to get a horse to this level. And, <laughs> 
Yeah, and now, yeah. now when he got hurt, I was left with nothing but an eighty centimeter horse. As my next horse coming along, and you got to start start all over again and produce more horses through the levels again. Yeah, yeah. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. You were going to tell us about a second horse. Yeah, so that's my kind of current superstar, I guess, Huey, mm-hmm. as we call him, or Humble Glory is his competition name. And he, he's got an amazing story behind him. So I guess not long after Zoe got hurt, Zoe got hurt in March, and I came across Huey in July, same year, which was two years ago. And Huey rocked up in a stock crate. He, um, uh, he was my, one of my, um, he was a friend of us. A friend of ours owned him and um, wanted me to sell him for him. He didn't have time for him anymore, so he said, oh, can you sell him for me? Now, hang on, before we go any crate. further, just tell us about a stock crate because some people may not understand, you know, what a stock uh, crate is uh, and and what sort of animals are usually carried in because it's not designed for horses. It's usually designed for, you know, for farm yeah, animals. For yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like open, so he looks quite funny. I mean, I'm not. Some people travel horses in them all the time and I'm sure that, you know, they are quite safe and everything horses, but they suddenly look funny when you're used to seeing horses in a horse float because the horse has just got it pet out the yep. top in the fresh yep. air and the sides aren't even fully closed in. And so mm-hmm. they're just, he was just standing there very quietly. <laughs> then he hopped off. They have to jump down. It's not a ramp, so they jumped down onto the ground and chucked him out in the paddock um, with a bunch of, you know, kind of in the paddock with a few other horses I had at the time and, didn't think much of him. He was just a very plain-looking horse and a, a bit plump even, a little bit fat. And yep. um, anyway, so started working him and, and you know, kind of had him. I think after a week I thought, oh, this is a horse. The original deal was I was meant to, and I don't really do deals like this very often, but it was a friend. So they yep. said, oh, I just want $1,000 for him. You sell him. You keep anything. You get over. I'm like, all right, do it. help them out. Yep. Um, after a week, I thought, geez, this is a good horse. I could probably sell this horse, you know, seven or eight thousand dollars quite easily. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should just buy it now, um, you know, so that they're not suddenly wanting more money than a thousand dollars. And um, so I bought, so I bought him, still thinking that I was going to sell him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I paid fifteen hundred for him in the end, and I bought him, and then started schooling him, and we weren't overly, you know, he was just another kind of one of my project off-the-track thoroughbreds I had and started competing him and um, he went out three months after I got him and won his first ever horse trials, EVA 95 at yep. Werribee. And I thought, geez, that was pretty good. He was, I, started, I was starting to realise he was he was good. I thought, oh, I might have a bit of a keeper here. And, <laughs> and then he um, then won another two of his next 95 starts. So he had five 95s. AVA 95 starts and won three of them and going really well. So I stepped him up to 105 and I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, if everything went really well, I could probably get into Melbourne three-day event um, that year. This is so. This is the start of um, start of last year, and so I did three 105s and he he did really well. And he placed in the last one of them. And I thought, yep, yeah, all right, he's going super. Let's go one star and see what happens. This is the old level. And so he came third in his first one star and since then he's never been unplaced in a, you know, in a FEI competition since he's gone to that level. He's never had a cross-country foal and he 
did the season at One Star and got to Melbourne three day. And um, as, as it happened, you know, we finally got there and we were all set to go. And we thought, geez, you know, everything was going to have to go perfectly to get there. And it, and it did. And we got there. And then he kicked kicked out of the stable the night before Trotter. And when he came out of the box that morning, he was non-weight bearing on one leg. And, mm. and again, the resilience comes up and, We've tried so hard to get him through the trot up and, and we just ran out of time because he got better by the hour. It was six for sure and he got better and better and better and but he just wasn't quite right and he didn't get through the trot up. So we were spun. And that was the end of that competition. And I thought, Oh, what do we do here? And the next morning he was a hundred percent. So it was really a time issue. So the only with still to this day, the only day that horse has ever been lame was for the trot up day. Wow. Three days. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> that's how it happened, and um, and so I thought, oh well, I'll go because he'd been going so well. I had I had Adelaide in the back of my mind at this mm-hmm. point. Maybe I could get into Adelaide, and so I thought, all right, I need a I need to do a one star three day event. So we made a massive road trip up to Corindai, which Corindai three day event, which is in northern New South Wales, um, which was about twelve hours from us. Yep, being in Victoria. So we drove up there and really hoping to get a qualifying result so it wasn't a waste, and thank goodness we did. I think he came fourth in the, the – Shane Rose came first, second, and third, and Huey came fourth. So okay. that was good. Yep. <laughs> and then – so I got our qualifying results and thought, all right, well, he's feeling pretty good, but I don't want to step him up to two-star just yet. I want to make sure he's okay. So I did one more one-star, and he came second in it at um, Werribee. And I thought, all right, we're 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 ready. Let's do this. So – at the exact same event that he'd done his first 95 the year before, 12 months later, he did his very first two-star. Wow. And um, ju- jumped double clear and, and came, uh, what did he come, third, which was pretty impressive, really. Mm. And um, just just in a year to have gone to that level. And then he did another two two-stars and placed at the both and, and went to Adelaide and um, was just incredible there. And, and we won the, the Young Riders Championship and, and I think we came sixth in the Open. So that was just super exciting. You know, it was a goal. It was my last year as a young rider. And it was a goal I'd always had in the back of my mind that, you know, it would be amazing to amazing to achieve and for it to all happen like that on a horse that had hopped off a stock crate a year and a half <laughs> earlier, not even quite that long, was just, you know, something I never thought would have happened. Wow. Um, wow. So he has quite a story behind him. And, and since then he's he's gone on to, well, it would be, to step up a level to the old three-star, but now it's called four-star. And he's since won Pamperdown four-star and, and at Ballarat four-star. He's just an absolute jumping machine. He's so talented and he's so trainable. He's just made for it and he loves it. So yep, yep. A, definitely a once-in-a-lifetime kind of horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I normally ask your proudest moment, but they just keep coming, you know, like I did this yeah. and I did that and did that and then winning that young rider and then – Oh, and by the way, I'm still going with that horse and he's doing well and he's doing better. Is there a single proud moment or is it just ongoing? Oh, it's it's got to just be the whole in, the whole journey with him. Yeah. You know, I think if, if like, I really want to, you know, I want to keep going with him and assuming everything goes to plan, he will just keep progressing. But, mm-hmm. you know, if something disastrous happened and, you know, tomorrow I would just be so thrilled with what we've done so far. Yep. Yep. You know, yep. like I've just so over the moon with the what the experiences he's given me already like he's really he's um yeah made me he's allowed me to do you know do a lot of the things I've kind of dreamed of doing riding at that top level and 
and being competitive. Yep, yep. Now, you have a few horses that, that you get for schooling, for training, and even young horses that you might buy. What's a common yeah. a common problem that people would have, you know, say that they've got dreams of, of even just riding in a single event, you know, just doing a single three-day? What's a common problem, a training problem with those horses to get them up to the level with eventing? And you might even say, yeah. well, sometimes it's the riders, but just a common problem to give them the confidence to get out there to do it. Yeah, well, it's an interesting one because I'd almost say that Sometimes a big problem is too much pressure too soon on the horses. And I say that and then you look at how quickly Chewy has moved up the levels. But you really have to you have to go at the speed of each individual horse and mm-hmm. you can't go any faster because if you do, you just like as soon as you try to take a short pat in your training, it, it catches up with you later and you pay for it. So I think it's really like it's being thorough with your training and making sure, you know, you, you tick every box and your horse is confident. Then if they lose that bit of confidence, it's so easy to lose confidence, you know, much easier to lose confidence than it is to, to get gain confidence. So you've just got to be so careful in your training that it's being there, that they're ready, that they're prepared before you just go out to an event and hope for the best because, you know, the chances are they will, you know, you, you will give them a fright if you haven't done the preparation. Yep, yep, yep. And the other thing is too, I suppose, if you've already ridden over a few big tracks, it's going to be easier to bring up the next horse. Whereas if you haven't yeah, done the big track, you're making mistakes and the horse is making mistakes. Yeah, and that's the thing. And people will look at me and go, how'd you get him going up, you know, going so quickly? But, you know, once you, you've done that and ridden at that level, you're able to support, you know, support yes. the horses to a degree and really help them out and um, carry them through the trickiest stuff. And, and, I mean, I've still got a lot a lot more experience to gain as a rider compared to a, a lot of other riders that have been riding at that level for years and years and years. But you certainly can help the young horses out when you have that experience. And, and I guess for other riders that, you know, don't or they are riding at a higher level for the first time, it's really important to take the time at each level to really consolidate before, mm-hmm. before moving up. Like, there's no way I could have moved up those levels like I did with Huey if I hadn't already ridden at that level on another horse. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Now, I'm going to be really greedy here because you've given us like an overview. A common fault in the dressage phase that you think people are throwing marks away you know, throwing marks away and, and things that you might have done. You might have said, oh, if I'd have only done this, yeah. I could have scored Yeah, higher. I mean, dressage, yep. is, dressage is definitely my weaker phase and I'll say that because I'm pretty consistent at getting the jumping right and mm-hmm. so there's probably quite a few things I could say that I, I, I myself am responsible for and, and I think part of it for me is a little bit accuracy because I get hung up on how the horse is going and how the horse is feeling and keeping them relaxed and keeping it feeling nice and, and then not riding it as accurately as I could have mm-hmm. because I'm, I get, I get in training mode instead of competition mode. And it's hard, you know, as a trainer, sometimes it's hard to make that switch. Yes. And the other thing I do be stuck in training mode, you know, I'm thinking about the horse being relaxed and thinking about, um, you know, how it's going to come out next time and having a good experience, which is all super important. But sometimes, um, you know, I think I need to ask that little bit more of them and um, especially the higher level horses and, and, and get the, you know, produce that test Mm -hmm, rather mm -hmm. than necessarily always staying in training mode 
Yep. Yep. But you have to be. You have to know know when to do that too. You know, <laughs> yes. you've got yes. to not put too, back in too much pressure too early as well. For sure. For sure. It's all a balance. I know you get a lot of double clears, but what's a common mistake that you see people making in the cross country phase? Um, I think a lot of it comes to like obviously the training you do, but just the one thing with the training and the I was going to say so a common mistake is how people I think have their horses say travelling around the cross country course, not necessarily the jumps, but just how they have them travelling. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's really important that they're listening to you the whole way that they're travelling. They're not just traveling around, head up in the air, looking somewhere else. Like they've got to be on the, they've got to be on the job. They've got to be listening. And when I'm, when I train my gallops, and it's slightly altering your question a bit, but I've, I've, I've been thinking about this actually for a while. But I think people just go, they get their horses fit, and that's what they do. They go out, they do their gallops, but they're fit. They don't think about actually training the gallop, like practicing, going for it, coming back. Do you have control? And I ride all my horses in a snuffle cross country, and. That's kind of a conscious decision because I make sure I train them so I can ride them in a snaffle. I could easily put a stronger bit on them when I feel them getting a bit strong, but instead I go out and practice galloping on them and practice bringing them back so that I have that control so that I can can go out on course and, and have them adjustable. So I think I think people don't do enough of practicing, like we call it galloping dressage, practicing, yep, you know, yep, yep. hooning in style, having, <laughs> having that um, communication so that, so that it's easy when you're going fast to come back and, and jump nicely. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good tip. You've given us lots of information, lots of training stuff, Sophie. You know, we're about education. There's just so much here that you've given us, so it's great. And I'm going to be greedy yeah. and give us a tip now for the show jumping. Okay, how can people improve show jumping? What's a common fault that well, you see people making? I see a lot of eventers not going straight show jumping enough, especially eventers that aren't good at show jumping. They just they'll go okay. dressage days. Yep. They won't go they won't show jumping. And I mean, show jumping's probably my strongest phase, especially because of the experience I had with um Zone and having jumped jumped him to Grand Prix and um I did quite a lot of, you know, a meter thirty and uh, a couple meter thirty five, meter forty tracks on him and that experience um, you know, really helped me and just going out and doing that like I think getting the experience over, if you can jump, there's quite a difference in the a track. Like say you go to a show jumping show and jump around a metre 20 track compared to a, a metre 20 track at an eventing show, which you would jump in a three-star class now. Mm. Um, there's quite a difference in the difficulty in the track. So it's really, if you can go and jump clear at the show jumping show, you're m- much more likely you know, to have success at the eventing show too because yes. the difficulty is definitely more at the show jumping show. Okay. Yep. Yep. Now, what are you looking forward to at the moment? You've sort of told us a little bit of um, plans with Huey, but what else are you looking forward to or, you know, what have you got coming up the next 12 months or so? Um, well, I guess the big one that's coming up and not that far away is Melbourne three-day event mm-hmm. and that's really only a few weeks away now. And so we're doing our first long format four-star there with Huey and I've got another horse in the, the um, level below the three-star. So that's really exciting. I guess that'll be Huey's first Melbourne three-day and it'll be in the fourth star, which is really? probably pretty unheard of, but um, but I'm super excited to tackle that. Mm-hmm. And and then I guess going forward, it'll just be getting more experience at this level because really I've done a season of it um, on two horses, but but I just want to get more experience and more consolidated and, and see where we can go. And really the, the big thing for me is getting my dressage better because the jumping's going amazingly and 
and to um, become really, really competitive, I need to need to get my dressage score a bit better. Yep, yep. Now, you've got a few sponsors. Do you want to tell us who the sponsors are and, and what the sponsors do? Yep. So one of my sponsors is Top Fodder, and I very luckily live about five minutes away from them, and they they do hay, which is one of the most useful sponsors yes. you can get. So, And Top Fodder, they specialise, I guess their point of difference, is um, that they're hay, they test it all so they know exactly what's in every bale of hay, how much protein, how much sugar. Um, and so they can, you can kind of really know exactly what you're feeding your horse. And they, they specialize in making low sugar hay, for, which is really good for like laminitic ponies or horses um, with insulin issues or that, that don't, you know, that need to have low sugar hay. Yep. Um, so, yeah, and it's very convenient being so close because it's super easy to go get it so that's just they grow that all from Mansfield and they distribute that to stores really around Australia and can be bought from from different bean stores um and so I guess I'll continue through the list so another sponsor is um Dublin clothing so I've been sponsored by Dublin for a while now and um it's absolutely fantastic because I get to every day pull on you know I wear the same thing every day of course just Jotters in a in a shirt and go riding and and it's great because I you know have a constant range of fantastic products and clothing to wear um, that's completely up to the task of long hours in the saddle um, which which is super um, Tough Rock Australia I've been sponsored by for that's really what my oldest sponsor actually okay and yeah we use the poultice all the time that's a massive part of our um, recovery after events. Um, as well as some of their other products too, like their joint supplements and they've got, yeah, they've got all sorts of things um, like gastrointestinal paste that like helps settle horses' stomachs. So there's all sorts of great products to use. Um, flexible Fit Equestrian, which is super for all the bridles, breastplates, girth, um, you know, gear, gear that I need. So they keep us stocked up and they make all sorts of, you know, really visually appealing gear like you know look the bridles look gorgeous on the horses and and even better they um they they all are fitted individually like you can mix and match pieces to get the perfect fit which is great yep um pulse vic which that's really a pretty special sponsor for huey so um pulse vic is owned and run by b um and she's located in yay and she does it's called PEMF therapy, it's pulsed electromagnetic therapy on horses and yes, but also to humans and dogs as well. And and she um, just sponsored Chewy with that, so he's very lucky. He gets to have um, pulse sessions all the time, um, every every week or so, and it really helps with his recovery. It's like um, helping them on a cellular level and it helps their recovery from an event, um, you know, before and we do it before as well as preparation, but it really helps with the recovery as well and making sure there's no sore spots. So it's obviously really important to have a team of maintenance behind you. So that's a big help for him. Yep. Um, Kentucky Equine Research, which is great for feed. I feed a lot of um, the Equijule, especially for my horses that aren't such good doers. So, and as well as using a lot of their different pastes, like electrolytes, like the Restore paste I use a lot after events and, and even, you know, some of the, like, the Be Quiet and if you have a really hot health horse. So there's a lot of different products there that were part of our everyday use. And Horse Fit Emporium, which is great because I can get all the 
different bit needs sorted and Lauren has the wealth of knowledge of you know what what different bits will suit different horses and yeah it's, it's bit fitting is a bit like you know saddle fitting you can't just grab any saddle and expect it to fit any horse so it's um, really something that's beca- everyone's becoming more aware of now um, you know that it's important to get the right bit yep. for your horse and yep. protect their mouth so yeah yeah oh that's so, great yeah that's Really good. And, Sophia, I know that some people are going to be sitting back going, oh, well, it's okay for her. She's so good because she's got so many sponsors. But tell us about the early days. Who was your first sponsor? Did they approach you? Did you approach them? And what you give the sponsors, you know, because it's not just they give you all the products. What do you give them? What You know, what sort of things are your sponsors expecting from you? As an equestrian professional, you know that it's not all just one way, that you've got to do a little bit. So, yeah, did they approach you or did you approach them to start with? Yeah, so the very first one was um, actually a brand called Riders Die, which a lot of people might know. And they approached me, but they Mm -hmm. did know me personally. So Claire, who runs Riders Diary, was, I guess I was, she was quite involved with Dalmore Tourism and Pony Club and I was coaching there and I coached her daughter a bit. So they, they knew me. Um, and so she approached me for a sponsorship, which I was so excited about. Um, it, you know, it was a dream come true. And it was just a small sponsorship, obviously, to begin with, but it was just like a massive step to actually be sponsored. And so, you know, from then on, you know, I guess I've had new and different sponsors. And you learn, like, yeah, it's a lot about giving back to them. There's no, they don't want to just give you stuff and that's the end of it. Like, you've, you've got to work out ways to promote them. And the, I guess the obvious one is social media and you can do so much through social media. Yes. But there's, you know, other ways too, like attending, you know, sometimes attending talks and, and advi- obviously advising people on not just to use their products but, like, what products are available and, you know how how it's helped you and how it can help them too and and I guess it's important to make sure that you like the sponsors you take on you're not just taking it on because you want the free you know the free stuff or the discount you're taking it on because you actually genuinely like their products because there's no point taking on a sponsor that you have to you know you don't want to be doing false endorsement you've got to actually genuinely like the product yep um, which is really important. But I guess social media is definitely the big the big way. Mm-hmm. That, like I make sure I, you know, every post that I put on my Facebook page and Instagram, we tag all my sponsors in it. And yeah, you have to sit down and it takes, you know, five extra minutes or whatever to go through <laughs> and do that. But yes. it's important to make sure, you know, it's getting their name there at the bottom of every post, even if it's not about them. And, and then of course, as well as doing, you know, posts that are relevant to them and yeah, showing that, you know, you do use that product. Yep, yep, yep. Look, it's just been so good talking to you. What I'd like you to do now, I keep throwing in all these extra questions for you, is if you were going to summarise your philosophy with horses just in a couple of sentences, you know, what can you say? We're going to turn this into a bit of a lesson that people can think, ah, I listened to that chat and this is the, you know, this is sort of what we finished off at. Yeah. Um, Well, it's all about, to me, like the two main important things about training horses time and observation so it's about Mm -hmm. taking you know taking your time with them not rushing them and observing them like you've got to know what you've got to be watching and paying attention to what's going on to their reactions like oh I did that they did this well that didn't work you know so taking the time and and learning from them so that you know you can do the right thing and you can progress their training okay yep no that's good that's that's really good 
Now, Sophia, what's the best way for people to contact you? The details will be on horsechats.com slash Sophia Landy or just go there, search for Sophia, search for Landy, and you'll find the contact details at the bottom of the page. But if they're going to contact you directly, what's the best way? Um, well, it, it really is just by calling me or sending mm-hmm. me a text message. But, yeah, I've got a website with my number on it, sophialandy.com, and I've got my Facebook page and Instagram, which are both Sophia Landy Equestrian. But definitely the best way to contact me directly is to call me and, and my number is on the website, the Facebook page, Instagram. And, and yeah, so, you know, to call me about, yeah, getting horses trained or broken in and, and yeah, all, all kind of facets of horse training, not just performance horse training, which are obviously special in like the high level competition horses, but I just as much love breaking in young horses too. Okay. And I think, do you, do you still do holiday camps for kids? Um, I'm doing coaching and group lessons, but not holiday camps at the moment. Okay. Okay. Not brilliant. Just because we've moved to our new property at Mountsville, so we're just uh-huh, still getting okay. a bit set up. Yes. Yes. Okay. And if people need you for something in particular, they can contact you and uh, see if you're open to the idea anyway. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and I've got a school I've got school horse for lessons of people that don't have their own horse mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we've got a good arena and quite good. well set up good alright wonderful to talk to you and hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime soon alright sounds great if you've enjoyed this chat then please comment rate and subscribe if you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.